Hi, you're listening to Elevate, the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. What do I really want changed? Social constructs <laughs> and freedom to be the authentic self. The world is more progressive now than it has been, and it will be more progressive later. We're raising generations of human doings and not human beings. Where we have to be doing, we have to be achieving. We don't allow ourselves to be because success isn't in being when it actually is. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, a series designed to explore teachings, ideas, and thoughts on empowering young girls while celebrating difference. I'm Ramita Anand, your host, teacher, and educational mentor, and I'll be chatting with insightful activists, thought leaders, creatives, and all-round brilliant champions for girls. Through these conversations and my work at Elevate RA Mentoring Services, I hope we can join forces to foster meaningful connections in order to alter the narrative around what being different, especially for young girls, signifies. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Elevate podcast. I'm so looking forward to introducing you to today's guest, Anju Solanki, who is the founder of MEA Consulting Group. As a diversity and inclusion strategist, Anju is focused on establishing gender equality within the workplace. Prior to founding MEA Consulting, she gained 12 years of experience working with investment banking for Citigroup, Lloyds and Barclays, where she successfully built her own franchise. Having spent the majority of her career working on a trading floor, which typically demands women to tap into their alpha personalities, Anju became increasingly passionate about the gender inequalities that women are facing. And this passion was further augmented when she became a mother. Having experienced invisible barriers that underrepresented groups face firsthand, she became even more driven about driving change. She says that for her own daughter, she hopes she grows up into a world which organizations embrace female talent at all stages of a woman's life. With three sisters of her own, who were raised solely by their mother, Anju derives much motivation from witnessing the sacrifices her own mother made to make her and her sisters' dreams become a reality. This could not be more aligned with the mission that Elevate has for our girls to grow up into a world that is much more fair and equal and embraces women for all their talents. So I cannot wait to talk to Anju a bit more about her experiences, her journey and her vision. Anju is also a business mentor for the Sherry Blair Foundation for Women. She was showcased as an inspiring woman for International Women's Day 2020 at United World College, Southeast Asia. She's been nominated for Asian Women of Achievement Awards in 2021 and is regularly featured in Forbes, BBC, Good Morning Britain and The Guardian. Well, let's dive in. Welcome to you, Anju Solanki. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Hi, Ramita. Hi. Thanks for having me. It's so exciting. Thank you so much. I know we've been uh, chatting a little bit off air and it's so keen to dive in and find out more so my listeners can learn from you and all your exciting projects as well. But shall we talk a little bit about what you were like as a little girl uh, and what it was like where you grew up? What was home life like for you? As a little girl, that little girl was... um, I'd say 
sweet on, on some levels. Um, never fully believing, I would say, never fully believing. Dreamer, a big dreamer. I was always someone who was in my own world dreaming, thinking that everything was possible. You'd catch me daydreaming at school, daydreaming at home. Um, so I was one of four girls, um, second child, so um, busy either arguing, playing, um, or something like that with um, with one of my sisters. Um, I was raised in um, East London um, with um, yeah my sisters, Kat, um, my parents until a certain age where they got divorced um, and then living with my mum. So it was um, it was an interesting life, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Very female driven. So and what were you like as a student? How would your teachers describe you? I was um, always the student with potential, but never the one who met that potential. It was always the one if she focused a little bit more, if she gave it a little bit more, you know, energy, if she um, paid attention more. But you were clearly um, too busy dreaming. <laughs> too busy dreaming. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I did have my subjects that I liked. Um but, yeah, I think for me, I was more interested in life than school itself, to be honest. Um, but my mum was really focused on education. She um, she herself has three degrees and a master's. And um, she did her, was it two of her degrees? Um, at least one of her degrees and the, the bachelor's and the master's whilst having, whilst um, she was raising us. Yeah, I was never one who um, was thoroughly... Um, I guess thoroughly focused. Yeah, but that's fair enough. I think when you're a teenager, you want to explore different things. And, you, you know, high school is such a funny time anyway of development. So it's uh, brilliant that you had that. And I guess being Indian and and like I am, uh, there are certain expectations placed on South Asian girls um, around the value of education for sure. But it sounds like that wasn't a pressure for you or was it because your mom was so in it with you right there? Kind of did you have any of those uh, pressures put on you at all? Yes, I would say, um, but pressure pressure put on getting the education and and being independent, being able to be financially independent um, as women, and we saw that ourselves with my mum, who um, was raising us uh, single handedly for um, a big chunk of our childhood. Um, so we un- yeah we understood that, and in terms of the pressures, I think it was possibly those pressures that allowed me to get. The grades that I got, um, whilst they weren't stellar, um, they were far beyond what I would have, you know, the amount of work I put in was more than I would have naturally put in. Um, I think, and yeah, I, I actually remember my mum when it came to having a conversation around careers and subject choices. She um, she said to all of us, she was like, you should get into science. She has, is a scientist herself. Did you feel a level or a sense of disappointment because you were... Or, or was it something you understood because you could see the benefits of uh, and the way that your mom was raising you and it was helping you maybe crystallize it? I think I was I wasn't aware as to what was happening, so I'd say it was suppressed. Um, and I remember I, was, I can't believe I'm saying this on a podcast, but it will come back to me somehow anyway. Um, I was studying for like my GCSEs or something like that. It was at some big exam. And I had, um, you know, I'd still I'd not never thrown away those dolls, those ones that just have hair up to there. And you get to, and I was busy just like dyeing it their hair. I was busy just do like braiding it. And my mum was like, what are you doing? Like you've got your GCSEs and you're busy with this doll. But for me, it was, I used to love like playing with Barbies until I was 
quite old, but because I could cut and make clothes out for them. I used to get like leather from my dad's shop and just start trying to sew that to make trousers or just again. And I remember doing a family newsletter once. I was like, I'm just going to sit on the computer and do like a newsletter for the family. And then everyone was like, what are you doing? But I think I was trying to find outlets for my creativity in ways that could be accepted or do things in my own time. Um, I'd write poems on like a notepad. And yeah, I, I guess it was suppressed. I, I wasn't aware of it. I wasn't aware that that was happening. Um, but little did I know it would find me later on in life, <laughs> which yeah. it does, which these things do. Of course they do. They do. Yeah. And it's really important. So that's a really strong message, isn't it? For anyone listening now, um, to let your children find their passions and and let them see where they take them. Because I think the chances are, if they're enjoying it, then they will make a success of it in whatever way they can. 100%. Yeah. So that was actually driving hunger that came from yeah wanting to then say move from maybe the creative side and either that side to financial success and something and working in a dynamic and buzzy environment which is what the trading floor um had been till yeah until the time I left I'd say they've said a lot in there that I think is really telling of a person's personality but again perhaps something that doesn't necessarily have to be there when you're a young student but actually, when you find something that you're driven for and motivated by, as you were, you didn't stop till you got it, which you sort of didn't suggest that was a personality trait of yours when you were younger. And I wonder if it is because of the fact that you were then old enough to digest and understand some of the reasoning behind your mum's advice. Yeah. And it's actually just interesting because obviously I'm a mom as well. And just thinking about my daughter at this point in time, you just think that personalities and characteristics stay the same throughout but for me I think maybe also possibly some of it was when I did start working in banking and I particularly when I moved to front office positions I was then surrounded by people who had gone to the top universities they had come from quite privileged backgrounds I was in a world that I didn't really feel like I really belonged in so there was this also need to prove myself I then most probably held on to the fact that one of the questions that never leaves you, I think, is what university you went to. I went to an okay one. I, I, I didn't go to an amazing one, but I went to one good enough where people around me, well, we all got good jobs. And it was then, I think, part of it also came from trying to prove yourself to the world and saying, well, I can do this. But then the hunger, yeah, and then hunger came. And then also going, thanks, mom. Thanks for pushing me. And actually, that wasn't um, bad advice you gave because I'm glad I did that. And all of that then allowed me to do what I'm doing now, which is pursuing my creativity and passion. It's incredible, though, isn't it? We always think that our parents don't know what they're talking about, but actually, maybe they do. Um, anyone, anyone younger listening to this, Gen Z, if you're out there, just, you know, parents aren't always wrong. <laughs> but, but it is hard to see that at the time. And I think mentorship and having other adults in your life that can guide you because it especially teenage years is it is their job to rebel from from mom and dad and and or anyone else that's trying to tell them what to do in their own kind of immediate circle of nuclear families can that that can be quite tricky so often if they hear it from other adults it can sometimes be more helpful but yeah I love the fact that you've tied in your personal experiences but then taken what you've wanted to do as a young girl and brought it all together for yourself now and that you have no regrets that about the journey you ended up shaping the career path that you're on 
it's a life lesson, isn't it, really? I think you all, by default, we've been brought up in a society where you fear failure and you will do everything you can to avoid that. But there are some journeys that you take where the good happens, the not so good, and it gets you to a certain point. You, you can't really regret that because it takes you to the place that you're at today. And yeah, I guess you are just thankful for the lessons you learned. So tell me then, when you finally made it onto the trading floor and you loved the buzz and you got the drive, were the day-to-day expectations of you and your job different to the, what you had imagined? Or was it exactly like you see in the trading shows or people describe them as on some of the sensationalized films, but some of them are not true. Wolf of Wall Street, I think they were. there was lots of that going around. Um, but tell me what it was like for you and whether or not it met your expectations. I was the only girl. I was the only Asian and I was the only one who didn't, you know, I hadn't attended Harrow or I don't know who are the other one. So Eton, one was Harrow, the others were schools I'd never even heard of. I knew Harrow as an area. I hadn't even heard of it as a school at that point. So when this, like, you know, they were like, well, you know, the head of Fayyild is from Harrow. It's like, okay. <laughs> like, you know, my friend who's now my husband was actually not far from Harrow. <laughs> so I had, um, and I remember they would, I'd come in, you know, dress smart, quiet, wanted to do my work. They wanted to have fun. I think a lot of them were ex Bear Stearns at that time and ex other banks who had done quite well. And, you know, at the height of the credit crisis, we were selling credit. Um, So there's a lot of stuff that you could get away with at that point, but it was all new to me. So having to learn my job was it was difficult. It was difficult. I had to ask 10 interesting questions a day, like stand up and ask them. And then my question, or yeah, interesting or smart questions from what I did. And it was awful because sometimes, you know, I'd ask a question that would be, you know, not, um, not an interesting question or, you know, something you should know. And you just get shut down on that. Um, but that was banter. And that's kind of what was acceptable at that time. So I found that really hard. I remember being on the phone to my mum constantly in tears. I'd take myself to the toilets to just have a good cry. Um, but I stood with it. Like, you know, I, I, I would, didn't leave. I did not leave. I carried on through that um I learned as much as I could learn but I it had a massive impact I think on my confidence levels for sure and I think that took some time to recover but I persevered I think my resilience grew a lot through that period so I said right well actually I'm lucky to get this job and actually someone on my profile wouldn't get that job actually I need to learn what I can learn and I took that with me and did that then help the confidence levels come back or would you say that's still something that your self-esteem has taken a bit of a knock on so i'd say even on the yeah even on the trading floor around you people had a lot that they had in common um and i think that was where i i just felt i didn't belong but i loved i, I began to love the job i mean I, if i could sell anything it would have not been financial products but i love vibrating for fast-paced it was able to um have revenue targets and meet those targets and challenge myself um, in a fast-paced environment. So that was good. My my confidence did grow. Maybe my self-esteem took a hit through some of that because the messaging was very much to be successful, one must conform. Um, And I actually started hiding parts of my identity and moving 
I guess without even realizing more towards, you know, it would be the fancy watches. It would be then learning how to ski. It would be doing, going to those fab restaurants. Yes, because it was a lovely experience. We were earning good money, but I think it was also to feel better connected with that community around me. You're almost code switching. You're putting on an acting job a little bit, maybe at times without realizing it subconsciously so that you I don't know, sometimes I think we do things to try and make other people feel comfortable so we lose a little bit of ourselves to to be like them. But actually, it's just as fulfilling to let them see the raw you too. But I think that takes a lot of, I don't know, it's almost a bit, it is a bit fearful to do that, isn't it? Or would you disagree? Absolutely, because I didn't see difference survive in that world. I remember um, one of the structurers who... She was different in the way she dressed, the music she was into. She was heavily into her music. She she wasn't given a chance from day dot. She could have done her job, but was she included? Was she invited out? Was she able to connect with everyone around her? No, not really. So it wasn't one, it wasn't an environment where difference survives. Um, so I think naturally, without even realizing you're doing it um, on a daily basis, you're like, right, every moment I'm spending conforming I'm becoming more successful you know because I'm molding I'm being what the bank needs me to be I'm being what the people around me need to be I'm being what I need to be to get through all of that and you you know you you do well in your job so you say right this is paying off and it's I guess I didn't even realize it was a problem I didn't realize it was a problem and it was only when I had my daughter that the world changed (laughs) it's so interesting isn't it You're, you're jumping through hoops I don't know if the words prove yourself, but or prove to yourself that you're worthy and that you belong here and that you have something to contribute. And the, these key messages, particularly for young females of difference, of, i.e. not even neurodiversity, I'm talking about just the fact that you have a different background or you come from a different cultural place. It's so, because you're younger than me, and I, I thought that was something that we'd kind of moved on from. And I know it wasn't, yesterday when these experiences happened but they still weren't that long ago so I I'm a little bit I guess shocked surprised uh, disturbed that the world is still in a place where we're constantly have to talk about what is showing up to work as your authentic self what does it get you if it doesn't really get you to move on like you said your your other colleague didn't survive it's yet you keep hearing these buzzwords in in the um, conversations and the rhetoric around, you know, embrace who you are and be who you are. And that's the messages I give to my young girls, except if they're not allowed to do that when they get to the workplace, they're going to feel like they're living a farce. Absolutely. I think the world has had a strong message over the last two years. Um, I think it's going to take a good 10 years or so to see real meaningful change. However, um, I can say if I think about some of the conversations that were had in my um, 12-year career in banking before and I left in 2018, I don't think those could happen now, at least um, a lot of those. I don't think a lot of those could pass now. I think there's a lot more awareness. I think Black Lives Matters really did change things in terms of reputational risk awareness people being fearful um of what they say or people thinking before they speak so i do think that there is movement in the right direction i think it's just slow and uh, slow moving managers don't really get enough people training 
there isn't enough of a framework. We send, you know, a lot of them, you go to wonderful schools, you go to university, you become technically very proficient within your job, you um, meet the minimum standards to be respected by people around you, and you get promoted into this management position, and then you're focused on those short-term goals. There's not really a lot of investment or enough investment that goes into people managers to be able to create those cultures. And just people who work in the workplace, knowing that they attribute to culture. Um, and I think that's really where my passion came from. It's the fact that it's um, it's such a big challenge in a way because there's accountability on everyone. If we're to allow people to bring their authentic selves to work, we need to all create spaces that are safe enough to do so. No, it is. I think um, there are lovely people like Adam Grant and Simon Sinek out there talking about the the frameworks with which in managers can bring some of this work. And, I'm, I'm, and I know you're part of the movement as well. And we're, we're very invested and aligned in our values and hopefully getting that type of diversity, that type of inclusion at work. But I suppose if I go back a little bit to what something you said earlier is when you became a mum, everything changed. Now, obviously that physically that's so true emotionally that's so true in in a professional context what did that mean for you would you mind elaborating on that for us a little bit so at that time so when I got pregnant I remember almost um so celebrating to myself about um you know expecting my daughter but just wanting to send a really strong message at work that I'm still thoroughly invested and I'm going to be the same person post, don't worry, this kid is going to come, you know, nanny's going to be there and I am going, yeah, and raise itself because I am back here full time. To be completely honest, there were some things which um, happened which pretty shocking. I think in terms of the experience as a pregnant woman um i would say there was pressure to really seem as though you are thoroughly you know invested in coming back which i was so i mean i left um to go on maternity leave very much thinking that i would be going back to my same job and my mother-in-law had prepared and took requested part-time um, i was looking into nurseries near my workplace just what we could do to make it happen um but then, as anyone who has children knows, things don't always go according to plan. And that's when you really, you know, you get to a point in your adult life where you have as much control as you can over everything around you, or as much as you can. And I think that's maybe where I was like, well, you know, life is going great because I'm, you know, I'm in control. So I had a very um, difficult experience with Ishani um, from birth, from day two. Um, she was sent to intensive care for critical dehydration. That was quite an experience. Came back home from that to be back in hospital when she was three months. We were in hospital for close to two months with severe feeding issues and medical things going on. And it threw me. I remember in between me coming back from giving birth to Ishani to her being submitted to hospital, admitted to hospital for the second time at two months. I flew to Geneva for a work event because I used to host an annual event or part of the bank did and I'd invite my clients. And I was so worried about seeming uninvested that I flew 
to Geneva to host this event and have drinks. I wanted them to know that I'm I'm fully committed. You've got me. And I, in you know, human retrospect, you just go, what? But when you're there, it was so important for me. It was really important to get that message across um, that, you know, don't discount me. I'm going to be coming back. And um, so when I was asked to go, I, I said yes. But is that because there was, even if it wasn't explicit, was there an implicit expectation of you to show up for this event because it's something you planned every year? Or was it something that you think if you maybe said, I can't do this year, you wouldn't get again? Was there some sort of fear around losing the credibility at work? I think most probably fear of losing credibility. I remember, um, and again, this is the difficult part because, um, and this is what's difficult for managers too, because I advocate for effective communication. So really saying and having that conversation with, you know, your employees who are going maternity leave about, you know, what they would really like um, and what that would look like for them. Um, So, you know, some of the messaging for me around that was that I want to be kept in the loop. Um, So, when I was kept in the loop and asked if I wanted to join, it felt like I should join. Um, so that's the gray area. I think had I had mentorship or had I had a level of just sponsorship within the organization that I felt was a safe space for me to ask that question to, I might have been able to see some sense at a point where I couldn't see sense. Because you were on autopilot and you were just going, going, Autopilot, going pilot, hormones. Um, I was actually, there was just a lot going on. And I think for me, all I knew at that point was work because we spent so much, invested so much into it at that point. And yes, I've given birth to this baby um, and I'm going through the motions. I'm still connected with what I had built up to that point. What what were the messages you were getting from your family? Like, what was your mother and your husband, what were your husband saying to you at this point? So I, I come from very strong, independent women. So we get on with it. We make our own decisions. We, you know, you're making a decision because it's the right thing. To, you just do what you need to do. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was beyond me when I think about the circumstances around how that all happened. No, my mum didn't say much. No, I don't think I asked my friend and my husband really supportive. He knew how hard I worked to build up the career. He respected what I did. And he stayed back with Ishani to, um, it was a weekend event though. It was a weekend event. I remember that. But he had Ishani, but that would have been the first time he had her. So yes, that happened. I then went back, came back and, you know, it wasn't too long after we had health issues and hospitalizations and then came back to having a daughter who wouldn't uh, who had such a severe feeding aversion we'd taken the tube from her the gastroenterologist has said if you don't remove this tube you are very likely to you'll be coming back here in a few months for me to insert a bag in her stomach so um to avoid those delays Right now, you're getting through by dream feeding her, which to anyone who's not listening and doesn't know what that means, it's feeding a baby milk when they're sleeping. Um, And they somehow magically take milk when they're sleeping. Um, I went through a really intense journey because every day was was like a day to keep my daughter alive. It almost felt like I had a call from work. Actually, things were not going right at work within the team and revenue targets weren't being met. Things were happening. So I started to have some outreach from my colleagues um, inquiring what my plans would be. I had mentioned I wanted flexible working. And again, without going into too much of those details, let's just say um, I managed to 
escalate um, the need for me to go back um, on flexible terms. So I've been the first woman to have been brought back on a trading floor for three days a week. Um, they created a new team for me to be able to serve as clients. Um, it wasn't, again, at that point, which I'll go into. So at that point, I was really, really um, touched. And I was really pleased that workplaces were taking maternity seriously, women seriously. I felt really proud to work for the bank that I was at at the time. Um, and I thought, wow, they've really understood what I've gone through and they're making it work for me. So that was wonderful. But I was raring to go three days a week. I'm like, right, I'm the same person. I'm like raring to you know, go in my job. And it's like, no, no. I that was a tick box for diversity. So I was brought back as the mother, you know, mom might say woman of color. Was it an opportunity? No, the inclusion part wasn't there. I was effectively sidelined in many ways. It wasn't a huge, it wasn't the opportunity I thought, but it was a guaranteed three day a week job. You just, yeah, I guess that's where for me, I said, wow, I now understand diversity and now understand inclusion. The diversity has been ticked, the inclusionism. And I was, I was shocked. It, I was surprised. I was had, I did know as you know, as I progressed through banking, that as you get to past particular levels, the representation of women, the representation of women in color reduces. I didn't think that would be the truth for me. Um, the truth for me in terms of you get suppressed in many ways. And um, and that was when the fire lit within me. I said, right, okay, this is not fair. Like I am meritocracy should be real and really um we should as hard workers as people who have got so far in this point people who are good at their jobs be able to return back to work to be given that same opportunity albeit obviously within the confinements of my role yeah that didn't happen and that was when I was like right the world the world is unfair and things need to change if your child is sick at one, any point and I remember at one point Shani had to go to hospital um she was in hospital for a week. Um, and I remember almost like having to tag team with my husband. Um, so if you take off like one or two days, you're in work one day that week. So they're almost like the messaging that the team takes, which they shouldn't do, is you're less committed. And then that just self-fulfills into, right, well, we're not going to give her the handover or, you know, what's the point of getting her involved in this? Or, you know, her, she's not there. So that for me... I, I, I really felt that because I worked hard to get, again, I had to talk about working hard, but when you come from a place like I've come from, this is not the typical place you get to. And that had a lot of meaning to it. So for me, giving that up was, you know, for means of having a baby, it just didn't seem right. And then I started to see the big disconnect between people functions within companies so the hr functions who really want to do these wonderful things and the businesses um and they're almost working in silos um so i i, I wondered whether there was an opportunity to bridge that gap um, and really start bringing someone who had that business experience who had personal experiences as well to um really connect those hr initiatives into the business so people managers understand what what that means what does inclusion look like because it's not being practiced so shortly after i think it was nine months after i returned i decided to leave and set up something to help that change it's amazing what did i mean it's i say amazing that's probably the wrong word it's a lot of words come to my mind in terms of frustration and 
feeling a little infuriated for you and obviously wishing that it didn't take these opportunities for us to have to keep going on about having careers and having a life and in spite despite of uh, of being mums and that that's I think that's such a tough gig it's a tough gig being a mum anyway and I think it's even tougher if you haven't gotten the right support network and you don't have a luxury that you and I might have which is supportive partners not every not every woman has that not every woman has the luxury of saying this is a choice that I have and so I do think that there's there's so many layers and there's so many complexities in, in everything you've just shared in your in your journey and the part when I felt frustrated and furious, it's like, you're just not alone in this, aren't you? You're one of so many stories that seems to continually be brought up, but the change is coming, maybe, I don't know. The other thing about that I keep trying to say is, is from a teacher's hat, is that a lot of kids think they're either creative or maths oriented or they're artsy or sciencey. When I And I keep trying to say, look, I was both, you know, I love fashion and drama and I love lots of things about arts, but I did study biology and I have a degree in genetics and I was a real scientist for many, many years, you know? So I think there's that part of me that wants to change that narrative for girls because they just won't take up STEM subjects or they don't stay in them. And then the frustration for me is that if we get these girls taking these courses or get them into these careers, that when they then choose to take the next big step in their journey, i.e. mother, if or not, whatever their choices are, that they're not supported in the return to work. And I know Indra Nui is doing a lot of work on that. I know Melinda Gates is doing a lot of work on that in the States. But would you say that the same ripple effect is coming into the UK as well? So th- th- there's a lot, right? Because you've got students and students at this point who are thinking about subject choices and um, Obviously, exactly like you say, you can be good at both things. It's not one or the other. Um, I think when it comes to um, finance, um, there is actually around a 50-50% intake of men and women in finance at graduate level. And it actually diminishes as they go up. So the retention is really where there's that problem. But then there are, um, you know, the, the tech sector where they have an issue at the very beginning of, you know, either subject choices and then um, getting into that career path altogether. The amazing thing about this conversation is that my experience and I left banking four years ago, four and a half years ago, is going to be very different for someone who's entering today. And it's going to be very different for someone entering in 10 to 15 years. And I know that just from the work that I'm doing with these organizations, some of it is naturally society evolving and progressing. And that needs to take its course. Um, And it has really started taking its course since Black Lives Matters. There's a lot of pressure on companies and sectors to be seen to be um, ticking the box of the social justice and um, equality, equity. But there's a real need as well, because there's a huge problem with the way um, jobs have completely changed over the last few years. And there's a need for specialized skills and there's a need for, and we're talking about women here, but there are so many different um, umbrellas of um, diversity. But if we talk about gender, and, um, you know, it's half the population. So there is a huge urgency to reskill, or not reskill, but just skill, um, you know, more of the population. And they're going to have to, and companies are going to have to start making changes to keep that talent because they need it. You're looking at technology, engineering, um, sectors like that. 
they are there's a war for talent they're going to need to um be more inclusive in their policies and make changes on their end if they're to retain that i do believe that change is coming i think it's slow but coming um to someone choosing those subject choices what i would say for you know i i was someone who you know i can sit today and say that I have, you know, I had some years in banking that allowed me to be free now and have the choices that I have now of my own, of what I built up myself. And I would, I'm proud of that. So I think for women, I'm a huge advocate for being financially independent, a huge advocate for doing something you're interested in, enjoy. Should you be put off an industry because you might be pushed out at some point? Um, I think you should be mindful, but I think trailblazers are always there. Um, and the world is more progressive now than it has been, and it will be more progressive later. And I see that with just some of the work I have done also with um, the younger and upcoming generation, they're demanding more than we demanded. You know, I um, was on a panel for this, um, this education conference, and um, you have, is it Slido, but we have questions coming up. And one of the questions that was asked when I was like talking on the panel was, why is she the only woman and woman of color on that panel? And these are students. I would have, like, we would have never seen that. Like, that would, question would have never come up. Like, you would have been talking about what we, uh, I think we were talking about STEM, actually, at that point. Um, but these are, this is what's on um, the mind of children. I think my, yeah, it's my daughter brings this up and she's six. So they are going to demand better futures. So I don't, I would definitely encourage that. And I am a huge advocate of STEM because there are so many opportunities. There's so much room for innovation and um, women have so much to give. I totally agree with you. I think this is a, a lovely, exciting time in terms of that shift. I feel like we're on the cusp of something really exciting for young girls if we continue to support them and they and they feel empowered to do so. It's something I did read even in post Me Too movement and acting and in the creative world, in the drama world, in Hollywood, uh, a world where the girls coming up now, they wouldn't have dared, the actresses, the generation before, wouldn't have dared to say to their producers or directors, no, I'm just not comfortable with this scene. I'm not comfortable with what you've just asked. I'm not going to do it. And that's something the older actresses are saying is really refreshing. And But how lovely to witness that change. In terms of measuring success for yourself how do you do that on a day on a day on a daily basis do you set yourself targets goals I mean I mean I know banking is a world where targets and goals are are really big it's an interesting question to ask because I think lots of our young folks are constantly measured or asked of something in terms of being ranked or checking in with themselves and I think that they're constantly trying to achieve more than they turned before which is a great quality until it breaks their sort of mental break you know their mental makeup and I think that's a balance that I'd love to be able to talk about with you um so that's really really interesting question um, and really important topic as well um so the measures of success right and um, when I was in banking um I mean at that point I couldn't even tell you what my values were I, I wouldn't be able to roll off the tongue the way I can now it was success was seen as how financially successful you were. I think it was 
money played a big part and I think I was disconnected with identity so um since then I've done a lot of work and work on understanding what my own values are so now when I think of success it's about how much my daily life and my practice aligns with my values and for me it aligns much higher now than it ever has done um there's also certain things that shape you so I I don't think money will never be a thing um I think because I didn't come from much of it. And um, I think maybe it's things that you haven't had that you seek to have. I think, yeah, I, I think it's really important. You mentioned your authentic self. I think success is being able to make a living being your authentic self and not wanting to escape your life through holidays. I think an annual leave whenever you can. I, I'm really surprised at where the business is at now compared to, yeah, I guess four years ago. I'm very proud of it. There's been a lot of, struggles along the way it hasn't been as easy as some people can look at what I've done and go wow like you know in four years this is where you are and you've done this that's amazing and it can look like a really seamless journey um when it hasn't been um entrepreneurship is super hard so I have to remind myself of my successes every day and give myself that pat on the back I think and and you um, will know this yourself as well Ramita like there's not someone there doing that for you right so it's important to back yourself um, and for me it's important to sometimes I say and you want to live a more shallow life we talked about you know shallow again before this podcast just because I have the weight of the world on my shoulders because I care so much about the issue and then actually bringing in your passion like that into a job and a living can be very tough and emotionally draining as well um so sometimes I do say I want to step back and actually just go back to the corporate job because it's actually easier on maybe my my own emotional health um, and it allows me to be freer in some ways maybe for my children and then I, I every time every time I'm like I can't but I just can't um, I have to do this journey and I have days where I say right this doesn't feel like a success because I'm not as Uh, maybe it's not aligned to my old versions of success and I do have to remind myself actually like passion um, integrity high standards freedom all of these are my values and I'm living that on a daily basis you found your why and you're and you're living your why exactly that's really nice it's amazing I mean you're still very young and you you know you've you've got goodness knows lots of time in your career to continue building your successful and fruitful uh, business I'm sure it will continue to do well but yeah it is interesting to always remind yourself when things feel like goodness me I can't do this anymore that there is a bigger purpose and I think in that way I do feel very very connected to you because I do think that the when the universe is calling you to to give something back to to others the sense of fulfillment you get in terms of how you feel successful in a day is what I use anyway to try and mark Mike. I did my best today. I was as consistent as I possibly could. And yeah, at the other hand of it all, I still think that um, remembering we're all humans, because that's the part that I think a lot of young folks, a lot of mums possibly, and even dads forget. And then they're on this really crazy hamster wheel that they can't get off because they're so busy trying to make it all come together. And I don't know to what end, to when, to when, when is enough is enough. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know when you ever get there because even Oscar winners will say, you get the trophy and you think that's what I've been working for. But actually the next day you're already looking for your next script. It doesn't stop. And I think um, I listened to Johnny Wilkinson talk about the same thing. So it feels like it happens in every career that you 
don't think that winning the World Rugby Cup, there could be anything more elate, you know, more exciting in the world for him or or a greater measure of success. And yet he was most depressed after he'd done that. And it's just, it's such an interesting reminder about how having, like having a goal is important, but remembering that the journey is just as exciting. And I think that's what girls need to know when they're sitting these exams. Completely. And I think also um, we're raising generations of human doings and not human beings um, where we have to be doing, we have to be achieving, we have to, you know, we don't allow ourselves to be because success isn't in being when um, it actually is. Um, So it's really important because it's a struggle, like you say, parents, um, you know, all generations. Um, So for the younger generation listening, I think they have pressures um, that are even higher than we've had and I think it's important for them to try to have that understanding that there's no end to those you know achievements and um, goals that you put out and and I think it is just being your best self and that's what I tell my daughter. And do you think you do feel happier today than you have done in your career? Yes I do yes yes and it's still like I said it still comes with its challenges I feel more fulfilled today this is the hardest I've ever worked like this is the hard and I worked in that banking which was hard work um but um entrepreneurship is something else it's another beast of itself and then doing that and managing family life so I would say I work harder now than ever but this is more fulfilling again I think it's also reminding oneself that you don't get to a destination and the box is ticked and you're there it's a constant learning journey trying to enjoy enjoying the journey I think that's the most important thing. And knowing that if you do get to your place of success, the hard work will still be there. You'll still have good days and you'll still have amazing days, you know? So it's just saying that, right, this is fulfilling parts of me that other things aren't and enjoying the ride. There's a wonderful person, Mr. Rishi Sunak. And I wondered if you had any thoughts on his appointment and, Mostly not you believe he's the right person for the job. I'm more interested in what you thought the media was making of it all and what you think in terms of, yes, you said there's been progress and yes, there's change. Then you read some of the articles that were written about the first person of colour, even though he is British. (laughs) I mean, it was just all very, it was all very odd for somebody of an Indian background to read that. So I would love to have your take on it. My personal take, um, when he was appointed, and again, this is irrespective of political beliefs, but just that feeling of representation. I mean, you can bring it back to childhood when like, the first Indian family came on EastEnders and we were like, wow, like to um, watching, oh, is it East is East, that um, Indian footballer and um, representation like Beckham, there. Yeah, like, um, yeah Bender like Beckham, East is East. No, that was, another <laughs> that was one. right yeah, before. Like yeah. yeah, of course. That was right before. Um, and then um, we've got um, an Indian prime minister and that feeling of representation, honestly, is wonderful. It's, um, again, it, it, it's telling a story. It's saying that, you know, you can get there. And again, for someone who is a dreamer, who at this point turning 40 next year, still dreams, um, knowing that you can have high hopes um, being underrepresented and you can break through barriers. It's really really comforting and reassuring so that was my personal take on it media's take on it was very interesting I would say disheartening but not surprising 
to see um, some of the press coverage um, around his appointment. Um, now, anyone who takes that role, I think, isn't doesn't have an easy position and isn't going to have it easy when it comes to their narrative in the media. That said, someone of difference and difference being a woman, you know, someone of colour is what we've seen. You know, Liz Trust, Theresa May, I mean, they're out to, they're really out to give you double standards and hold you against standards that are very different to what they've held some of the more dominant groups in the past. And I've we saw that with Rishi Sunak. I am now dissect, and I think having had more interaction with media in the job that I'm in, I can, I feel that I now dissect journalists and I choose which journalists' views I respect uh, because media is so influential um, in terms of feeding us messages. And now I'm at this point where I look at whose narrative I um, respect and who's giving a more holistic view or who's giving the same standard of coverage for Boris Johnson that they were for Liz Truss and Theresa May and Rishi Sunak or who's trying to do that more so than others and who's really going in for you know heritage and personal attacks and biases showing through because when you start becoming a bit more cynical reading what you're reading you you'll see that you'll see that and it's not just reading what I like to read and what what I agree with it's just looking for a framework that is consistent amongst different people um so I would say I was disheartened by what I've read and I continue to be and quite shocked actually I think as well I just think that the message you uh, like you say for us as adults can feel this proud what it must be doing for children like you say about having those dreams and never saying I can't get to that place if I want to I want the top job I might get the top job you know um which, which is wonderful really really nice okay so my final two questions which I always ask all my guests is um one thing that you would love to change for girls in the future I think it would be the empowerment side it would be I would love to change the stereotypes and expectations of girls. Again, how we reward is really interesting. Um, I've been doing some work with schools and children recently, and girls are rewarded versus boys. You know, it's behavioural on girls more so and achievements on boys. Um, And you start to see those stereotypes as self-fulfilling. I would love for self-handicapping to be removed, and that is girls limiting themselves on their own aspirations and potentials based on social constructs. So what do I really want changed? Social constructs (laughs) and freedom to be the authentic self. So I, I don't want girls to change one bit. I want the world to be able to value them for who they are and qualities that they bring we are not all the same um, and I think we don't have to be all the same where there are I think certain traits of and again this has been maybe heavily focused on girls and women more so and um, that's not who I just only advocate for but talking about girls I would say a lot of them have you know we've seen it even in leadership girls turn into women who those who get into leadership roles have displayed what we call transformational leadership and used more, um, you know, I guess emotional intelligence and some of those softer skills, which in the past haven't been valued as much. And I really hope that that changes because women are amazing communicators, you know, have this amazing ability to, and again, not stereotyping everyone, but, you know, many of them have these wonderful softer skills, which play huge roles 
in people's lives and can play huge roles in business. And, and I hope that's valued going forward so they don't have to conform to be successful. You are speaking the Elevate language through and through, Andrew. If someone <laughs> didn't know, they would have thought I've actually planted my whole pitch to you. <laughs> um, I promise you, I've only Bad we met. just <laughs> met. We've only just met. And that this is something that is completely brilliant because that is in my in the whole DNA of the Elevate mission. So I do hope and have the same um, aspirations as you have. So that's really exciting to hear. And then if you could go back, Andrew, whisper something to your teen self today, knowing what you know about everything that's unfolded, but you can't change anything. I'm not asking you to change anything, but you could go and give yourself a message as a young teen girl. What would you say to yourself? Believe in yourself through it all, through it all, through through failing an exam, passing the exam, through trying to get the next job, to not getting the next job, believing in yourself the whole way through and not seeking validation from external sources, including family. Oh, that's a fantastic message to end on. Um, young girls everywhere, you're so lucky to have people like Andrew in your corner and not just young girls. I know the work that you do is a much broader uh, sense of, of the population that you look after, which is so inspiring and so wonderful. And I just happen to focus the conversation mostly on gender today, just because of the nature of the work that I'm in. So if anyone did want to get in touch with you and you or wanted to hear more about your wonderful projects and inspirational journey, where might I direct them? So the website, miaconsulting.co.uk, Instagram, we have a Mia Consulting page, Mia underscore consulting, and you can follow me directly on LinkedIn and Andrew Solanke. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for helping us deliver these wonderful initiatives and being the voice for so many, so many people. Thank you for having me. Thank you for your work. Amazing too. And that's everything from us today. Thank you to all of you for joining in and being part of these very important conversations. I hope you will continue to support our cause by sharing the podcast to raise awareness with others. If you get a moment and could rate and review the podcast, I would also be hugely grateful. I'd like to extend a very big thank you to Ryan Prestepina from The Pine Studios for all the hard work that he does to help me bring this podcast to all of you. Until next time, stay well and speak soon. Bye for now.